Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is... Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the name. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here as I am every time with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest has shared the stage with the likes of Sir Bob Geldof, Sir Richard Branson and Condoleezza Rice and has presented for audiences ranging in size from 30 to 9,000 at all levels of business. With a double degree in marketing and consumer psychology, she has authored five books and is a highly regarded marketing consultant, or as she describes herself, a consumer futurist. Described as entertaining, inspiring, humorous, engaging, and memorable, she has wowed audiences in 14 countries for more than a decade on the speaking circuit and is widely regarded as one of the best speakers in Australia. Here today to explain why we always say yes when asked if we want fries with our order, please welcome our next guest, Amanda Stevens. Hi, and thanks so much for having me. Welcome, Amanda. First question, you call yourself a consumer futurist. Do you know exactly how much I'll spend at Bunnings this Christmas? <laughs> That's an excellent question. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> uh, you know, the good thing about what I do or the, the thing that I love at the moment uh, in particular is that we've just seen in the last few years the biggest shift in consumer behaviour in decades. Um, and in all of that, there's some really incredible insights around how not just consumers are changing, but how we are changing as humans and how that impacts uh, not only how we shop and what we buy and how we buy it, but how we form brand relationships. So, Amanda, you said that there's been a massive shift in uh, consumer behaviour in the last 10 years. So what's driven that shift? Well, it's been more in the last few years. So obviously COVID, uh, you know, had a huge impact on particularly online shopping, but we've seen some other really interesting trends as well that have come out of the pandemic, particularly the relationship that people have with their homes, for example. So we're living very differently. We're traveling differently. We're obviously shopping a lot more online. In fact, you know, 1.36 million Australian households made their first online purchase in 2020. So that shift and that acceleration of digital is not only changing the channels in which we shop, but it's also changing consumer expectations because online shopping is very good at delivering on the customer experience. You know, I can order something at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday from Booktopia and it arrives at 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Yeah. That's that's the standard kind of experience that we've gotten used to in the last few years and that's really driving consumer expectations. Tell me the Amanda story. How did you get interested in this? Was it, you know, just lollies at the tuck shop that then grew into your interest in buying? Yeah, I um so I ended up doing a double degree in marketing and consumer psychology and I think that really ignited my fascination for why people do the things that they do. So, you know, that intersection of marketing and the thought process behind why we purchase anything from groceries through to more complex purchases has really been an obsession of mine for for decades now. So, I started a marketing agency in Sydney, uh, which really specialised in matching consumer insights with brand campaigns. So what's the consumer insight? 
Uh, and how do we take that to market from a brand and marketing perspective? And that agency grew well beyond my expectations. Uh, and as a result of that, I won a couple of awards and winning those awards led me to be invited to speak at events. Uh, and I have to tell you, the first few events I spoke at, I was absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> like really I, bad. I don't believe that for a moment, but can you give me an example of what you're saying, having an insight into the customer's behavior? How can a brand leverage off that? Some of the campaigns we worked on uh, were were really not just about a brand and a marketing campaign uh, and message. It was actually, a lot of it was very social driven. So for example, we worked with Wizard Home Loans, which back then was the challenger brand in the non-bank lender space. My team and I worked really closely with Mark Boris and his team. And at that time, there was a lot of talk into paid maternity leave. At that time, Australia was the only OECD country that didn't have a, a paid maternity leave scheme. So it was very topical. It was talked a lot in the media, who was going to pay for it? What was it going to look like? And a research paper came out at that time that revealed that the number one reason that couples delay having children in Australia is the mortgage because they lock into a mortgage that relies on two incomes. So they'd put off having children. And I looked at that and thought, wow, that's it's such an anomaly because we talk about the great Australian dream mm. and it's actually the great Australian dream that's, you know, the family home that's uh, preventing couples from having a family as they delay. So I came up with this idea, pitched it to Mark and he loved it. We launched it six weeks later, which was essentially a maternity leave option for your mortgage. So we called it pregnant pause. When you go on maternity leave, put your mortgage on hold for six months without penalty. Right. It had never been done in the industry before. Um, as I said, we launched it six weeks later and within 12 months, Wizard became the, the number one choice of non-bank lender for Australian women. Are, so, you saying, are you saying that Amanda Stevens invented maternity leave in Australia? Not maternity leave, maternity leave option for your mortgage. Um, yeah, no, I, th I think you said maternity leave. Congratulations. <laughs> maternity leave option for mortgage. And it's actually it's actually an industry standard now. The bizarre thing about this was that this was actually something that all the major banks actually offered, but it was hidden in the fine print and it was called wow. the hardship clause. Yeah, so that kind of campaign Fantastic. is really, you know, very, I'm obviously very proud of it, but, um, you know, it's a really great example of how marketing can not just shift perception, but it can actually ignite social change. That's a brilliant example of just, you know, gaining an insight into um, understanding customers and then speaking to a client, pitching an idea and getting an incredible result. Did you find, though, that um, in the early days of your agency, that sometimes you'd come up with these these incredible um insights from consumers from doing the market research and go with an idea, but really struggle to actually get a client to get on board with it? Yeah, great question. You would think that every client would uh, would really jump on board with an idea that was driven by a consumer insight. But I guess the other thing I learned about human beings in that stage of life and in that process and building that business is that people have natural biases. Uh, you only have to turn on commercial TV, and I don't watch commercial TV, but when you turn on commercial TV and you look at some of the advertisements, you just, I always think, okay, so in that boardroom, when that person pitched that idea to that client, who in that boardroom went, that is a great idea because <laughs> it's just garbage. Like there's no insight. It's 
creativity for the sake of it. It's, you know, particularly things like celebrity endorsements. Uh, A lot of celebrity endorsement campaigns uh, exist because the CEO wanted to meet that person. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And that happens in the speaking world as well. It does too, yeah. You can't argue with a consumer insight when you have robust research that consumers are telling you something or the data proves something. Yeah, you would think that that is enough to drive an idea or drive a campaign or drive a message. But as I said, there are lots of other things that are in play in the marketing world. The flip side to that is obviously the actual end consumer and the experience that the end consumer has. What do you think defines a great experience for a consumer? I think the customer experience is evolving to be, I think, the number one opportunity for brands, big and small, to create a competitive advantage. If you're a business, it's all about the customer that puts the customer at the heart of everything that you do, every decision, uh, every touch point. You simply win the battle for relevance. That's just the fact of the matter. So what makes a great experience? Well, a few things. I think it starts with living in your customer's world, not living in your world. And I know that sounds simple, but it's not simplistic. So literally putting your customer at the heart of everything that you do. Being insanely curious about your customers. You know, I talk a lot about curiosity. I think we've lost the art of curiosity a little bit um, because people people are different and consumers are changing. We are evolving as human beings. So you know, understanding your customers is not just a once a year research project. It it needs to be every day, like literally being insanely curious about what's going on in our customers' world. What problems can we solve for them? How do we connect better with them? How do we deepen our relationships with them? And how do we transition? You know, I I think in the next few years, we're going to see a very clear delineation in brands and businesses across every industry. Uh, And that is brands and businesses that are very transaction focused and brands and businesses that are relationship focused. And the ones that are relationship focused that are looking at the end game and looking at customers as a relationship, not a transaction, uh, they will simply grab market share. And I think that opportunity is really here and now. Amanda, as you know, I've had the uh, pleasure of seeing you in flight many times. And as Carson said, you are entertaining, inspiring, humorous, engaging, memorable, but I'd add authentic because you speak from the stage from your own true experience and picking up exactly what you're talking about, the customer experience. Uh, Tell me about that time when you checked into a hotel and it really resonated with you because the guy who opened the door remembered a dog. Mm, Yeah, this is a great story. So I had a speaking engagement at the Emporium Hotel in Brisbane. Um, I'd never been there before. It had only recently opened. Uh, so I pulled into the driveway. The concierge uh, guy opened the boot of my car, took my case out, came to the driver's door. He said, welcome to the hotel, Miss Stevens. Are you checking in? And I was like, that's weird. How does he know my name? And then he said, oh, by the way, what sort of dog have you got? And I said, a beagle, why? And he said, oh, my auntie's got a beagle. It's really naughty. Is your beagle really naughty? And I'm like, how long have you got? Like my beagle is so naughty. Um, So we got into this really cool conversation about beagles and how they're so naughty but cute and their intelligence overcomes their naughtiness. Anyway, I'm back there a month later, like a month. It was at least a month. I think it was like five or six weeks. Same guy comes to the door. He opens the door. He says, he says, welcome back to the hotel, Miss Stevens. How's Birdie Beagle? What's he chewed since we saw you last? Mm. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like here's a guy that literally came from a place of curiosity, you know, like he noticed 
the tag on my bag. That's an old trick. Um, but then he noticed something as small as dog hair in the back of my car. Um, and I realized when I tell this story, it sounds like the boot of my car is shrouded in dog hair. It's not just, <laughs> just a little bit, but you know, just, and I think this is the key to the customer experience. You know, we talk a lot about technology and AI is all the talk at the moment and AI is great. It's enabling us to do things, be more productive, do things in our business that we couldn't do even a year ago. Mm. Uh, and that's all great. I think the the brands and businesses that will really win are those that will win the hearts and minds of their customers long-term are those that can harness the best of high tech and the best of high touch. Yeah. So when you can combine those two things, that's where you create real magic when it comes to the customer experience. And so technically for any businesses listening, on that first visit, the guy would have gone in and made a note in your booking that you had a dog called Birdie. And yep. then on the day that you arrived, he would have seen who's expecting and went, oh, that lady with the dog, okay. And then it was top of mind when you arrived. I mean, it's it's simple, but people don't do that, do they? Yeah, and, and this is the thing. You know, at the end of the day, people want to be seen. They want to be seen. They want to be remembered. They want to be noticed. You know, just something as simple as even if you're not going to that extent of remembering people's dogs' names, you know, just paying compliments to people you know, making people feel special. It Again, it's such a simple thing. It's such a little thing, but it has such a big impact. Now, you said make people feel special. You flagged earlier that you didn't feel so special on your first one or two speaking gigs. <laughs> oh, boy. I cringe. I, I honestly, it's so cringe. I So I'm speaking at these events. I was vomiting before I went on stage. Oh, uh, I did want a lot of uh, people starting out in speaking do most people when they're starting out and they're really nervous, they have a self-soothing tick. It could be someone rubs their elbow or someone, you know, grabs their earlobe a lot. It's like this subconscious self-soothing thing that humans do. Mine was actually just rubbing the top of my leg, which actually just looked like suggestive and weird. And was that from the stage you were doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On stage. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just oh my God. So embarrassing and so cringe <laughs> and just so nervous. But the thing was every time I spoke, because I was really just telling our story and telling the story of the business, we were getting clients and my initial thought, rightly or wrongly, it was purely commercial. And the thought was, if I'm really crap at this and we're getting clients, imagine if I was really good. Hmm. So I went and found a speaking coach and I I went and saw him and I said, hey, I don't care what it costs. I, if I'm going to do this, I want to be really shit hot at it. And he's like, it'll take maybe a year, maybe two years. I said, I don't care. So we worked really intensively for about 18 months. And what happened in that time is, you know, they talk about 10,000 hours before you're really highly proficient at something. I just really committed solidly at it. And what happened was the better I got at it, the more I enjoyed it, the more I enjoyed it, the better I got at it. Yeah. And mm. there was this moment where I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is my calling. This is my purpose. You know, I was super, super excited in my business and, you know, loved what I did, but there was just something about speaking that was like, this is, this is what I want to do every day for the rest of my life. Um, and so uh, an opportunity came up to sell my agency and I grabbed it with two hands because by then running the agency was sort of getting in the way of speaking. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I had to have the opportunity to transition into speaking full time was just, yeah, was like a dream come true. Yeah. Well, the hard work paid off because you are shit hot at it. Um, mm. Tell me about the books you've written. 
Uh, well, turning customers into advocates is um, definitely kind of my signature book. Uh, it's just gone into its fifth reprint. So, you know, it really is about understanding that opportunity to not just have satisfied customers, but to actually have customers that have such an exceptional experience that they become raving fans. They become advocates. They uh, become walking unpaid advertisements. They do all of your marketing for you. They talk about your brand at a dinner party. And that opportunity I think is really exciting. And as I said, I think now, you know, there's a really poignant opportunity at this point in time for brands to grab market share very quickly by focusing on customer advocacy. Why do you think there are so many companies who know what they need to do, but don't actually do it? When I talk at conferences and I'm, you know, my message is just as relevant for retail as it is to service-based businesses. You know, I do a lot in banking and insurance. You do see that there's this aha moment of like, okay, I've got to refocus on my customers. I've got this almost dormant asset sitting in my business, which is my existing customer base. Because I think for a lot of businesses, small and large, they get very focused and almost obsessed about getting new customers when often the real value and the real opportunity is to not only extract more value from existing customers, deliver a better experience for those customers, turn those customers into raving fans, but also then, you know, extrapolate this long-term value through advocacy and referrals. Um, But there's just this kind of, I don't know, just obsession with getting new customers. But a lot of businesses are getting those customers, but it's a little bit like running a bath without a plug-in. The new customers are coming in, but they're just not they're not really extracting and maximizing and optimizing the eval- the value that exists or the potential value that exists in existing customers. The customers are coming in, but they're not sticking to the side of the bath like you want them to. Correct. Kind of the soapy, slimy part. They're just going right. down the drain. So it's many nice, metaphors, so little time. It's, yeah. a, it's a nice image. As we start to wrap up this, our next guest is, we're talking about branding. What's the Amanda Stevens brand? What does one get when you engage Amanda at a conference or a dinner? What do you do? What do you offer? Yeah, I think I pride myself on a couple of things that are quite unique. Firstly is I do customise extensively my message uh, and I do that by often, you know, I love immersing myself in an industry and a brand and seeing that brand through the eyes of the, of the customer. So I'll often do lots of mystery shopping. So literally step into the shoes of a customer and look at what's going on, not only in this business, but in this industry. And I love that. I love just kind of diving in and really, yeah, immersing myself in that in that industry and in that brand. And that enables me to talk with authority about the customer experience because I can often talk about it anecdotally from my own experience, which I think really it means a lot, particularly if you've got, for example, a franchise group and you've got franchisees sitting in that room, it's very easy for them to say, and depending on what's going on in the business, there might be friction, there might be fraction, is it's very easy for someone to say, oh, that's all very well, but our business is different. So I think being able to talk with authority and personal direct experience really does make a difference. It makes the message have more gravitas for the audience. And I think a lot of people would say that, you know, I bring a lot of energy and not just storytelling, but humor. Mm. Um, 
to the stage, you know, I've worked with, I've had a humor coach, you know, I've really worked on that side of my presentation extensively for the last few years in particular. I'm seeing that that's making a difference. You know, the research shows if you're having a good time, you absorb about 30% more information. And if you asked people who saw me speak, you know, a year ago, what did you remember from Amanda's presentation? It's not the stats and the research, even though I do, you know, bring those insights and that research to the presentation they remember the stories and they'll remember the humour. Yeah. One of the great things you do, Amanda, for your anyone looking to book you for a speaker is you have a prolific amount of video content. I think you are probably the, the preeminent video content creator for a, for a speaker in Australia. You did one video in particular, Amanda's story. Just tell us a little bit why you did that little video because I think that's quite clever. Yeah. So in 2018... I decided to double down on video and invest really heavily on it. And it's paid off, you know, really, really well. I now actually work with other speakers on their marketing and video really has been the game changer for me, not just show reels. Um, So I don't have one show reel. I don't subscribe to that model. I actually have 28 show reels. The reason I have done that is- One for each day of the week. The month. Yeah. Well, yeah. The reason I do that is that when a client is looking at putting a shortlist together for speakers, I think a lot of speakers think, oh, you know, they're going to look at my video content and all my bio and everything for, you yeah, know, for hours. It, it, <laughs> often, often that decision to put you on the shortlist or not is made in seconds, not even minutes. So having showreel content that's relevant and specific to that industry, because a client wants to know not only that you're a good speaker, but that you can actually walk our talk and really understand our industry. And so having industry-specific showreels enables me to provide that content very quickly and easily, and it makes the decision process for a client very easy. But what I've also learned is it's not just about the showreel content, it's also about often your story. So I produced this video, which was just about, you know, why I love speaking, how I got into it, you know, what really ignites me and what excites me about speaking and you know, why I love it so much. So it's just my why essentially. And what has amazed me is that that video gets the most engagement, the most views, and certainly the most commentary. Um, And it's a really good reminder that your why, whether you're a speaker or a PCO or in any business, often people will engage with you based on why you do what you do just as much or sometimes more than what you do. Mm. Uh, And your why, that is something that no one can compete with because it's your own unique personal story. And, yeah, often that's it's what people will connect with, why you do what you do. What a great note to end with. As I said, Amanda, I've seen you many times for different industries and you're always the same, but you're always different. The content is, as you said, bespoke for that industry, but what is constant with you is an enthusiasm and a relatability because you do tell stories from the heart, many of which you've lived and experienced yourself and the uh, the knowledge that you bring to the room is huge. Thanks so much for your time today and I look forward to next time I'm able to introduce you. Thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to seeing you soon. If you would like to have Amanda come and speak at one of your next conferences or events and better understand how she can help you relate to your consumers, please go to amandastevens.com.au. That was Our Next Guest Is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. Let's take a break.